This, of course, is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, uh, tonight is our special YA night, which we love because it means we get to talk to wonderful, fascinating young adult authors. Uh, And it also means that we get to be joined by one of our favorite people in the whole world, QL Pierce, who is a wonderful YA writer in her own right. Uh, uh, Q is um, the author of Scary Stories for Sleepovers and over 150 other books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her latest, Spine Chillers, is available now in ebook and paperback at Amazon. Welcome aboard, Q. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Well, um, I'm really pleased to be able to uh, share with you a, an incredible uh, new book. Uh, the author is Megan Kempese. Uh She is a playwright, novelist, and teacher. Her plays have been performed in China, France, and the United States. She holds a BA in theater from Yale University and an MFA from testing my French here, L'École Internationale de Théâtre Jacques Lecoq. She has been a physical theater specialist around the world. In 2019, she received a Fulbright Specialist Award to give master classes in Ankara, Turkey. Her debut novel, Thin Eater, has been described as the handmaid's tale meets Alice in Wonderland. And that is a, an excellent way to describe it. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited. Oh, I'm well, really happy board. to have you. I I love the as I say, I love the book. It's very dark, which is one of my favorites. I think. <laughs> um Lit Hub called Sin Eater, a dark propulsive novel that twists your stomach in all the right ways and named it one of the most anticipated novels of 2020. Would you please explain first what a sin eater is and then give us a sort of a general overview teaser of the story? Absolutely. So um, a, a sin, eater, sin eaters were real historical uh, people in British folk ritual. Now, the, the last one died out about 100 years ago. Uh, and they were a social pariah who would eat a piece of bread uh, on the coffin of someone who had passed and therefore ritually absolve their sins onto their own soul. Uh, now, in my book, I have, I've taken this, and it's kind of, there's a little bit of alt history, alternative history, because sin eaters are mm-hmm. widespread. So um, I'll, I'll give you the, 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 the description of the book. So uh, there's a, a 14-year-old girl named Mae Owens, and she is jailed for stealing bread, and her punishment is to become a sin eater. Uh, so in the book, she hears people's deathbed confessions and then eats ritual foods uh, representing the confessed sins on their coffins. Uh, and, and so in this role, uh, she becomes an untouchable in her society. She's shunned. She has to wear a collar. Uh, her tongue is tattooed, and she's literally not touched or spoken to or even looked at. Um, but as the novel progresses, this curse becomes uh, an unexpected source of power. Uh, she effectively starts to turn it to her advantage, and uh, she uncovers a series of mysteries that uh, reach all the way up to the queen, and she sets out to solve them using her untouchable status. 
So it's it's a story about a very isolated young woman, which, you know, we're all starting to relate to very strongly, um, who starts to find her strength. Um, but also really she finds her people by the end. She finds her family. Yeah, I, I have to say I will never look at pomegranates in the same way. <laughs> After reading this book, mm. I, I did love the uh, also that you opened with a list of the sins and the foods. It it was a yeah. fascinating way to set that up. Is that historically accurate, or was it just bread in in history? So so in history, it was bread, uh, sometimes ale, occasionally salt. So yes, these are all uh, my embellishments, <laughs> my imagination okay. here. So so yeah. Okay, on that same vein, um, rather than sticking to a strict historical telling of the 16th mm-hmm. century England, you reimagined it as a more dystopian setting with a fictional queen and court. Why did you choose to set it in that way? And how did you come so, up with that whole world? So I was, you know, when I... When I learned about Sin Eaters, I was just fascinated because I'm a big history nerd. And I loved the idea that there was this very uh, kind of syncretic ritual, meaning it was like partly Christian but partly pagan. And then I was fascinated that we knew so little about it. And so I knew that I wanted to write a book with a Sin Eater at its center, like a young woman protagonist. But um, for for the novel to work, I wanted Sin Eating to be like a deep communion between people. And historically, it was more of like a post-mortem ritual. And so in order to have that kind of that communion and, and have it be a, an essential part of everyone's life, I, I needed to have kind of an alternate history. Um, and I, I chose Elizabethan England because it's a period that I love. It, it also has a strong female leader, which to me provided a beautiful foil for this powerless girl and this very powerful woman who are both you know, trying to make more choice in their life and struggling. Um, and, and and it also had the religious turmoil, which was great for me mm-hmm. adding in um, for, the, for the religious turmoil that I wanted to have. Okay. Um, now, also, um, it, it's certainly a book for adults, but I see it as a wonderful book for YA. Do you agree mm-hmm. that is that written? You have a 14-year-old protagonist, so do you mm-hmm. feel that it does cross those uh, barriers, those lines, both I, adult I think it, and I, YA? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I, it, I think some people find it too dark for YA, but I, I certainly, when I was uh, 14 years old, this would have appealed to me. So I'll say that I, you know, I was definitely thinking um, of you know, a young person coming of age that that I was trying to look at those particular issues that you're dealing with, which is, for me, was uh, the way I saw myself and the way I fit into my world was changing so much. And so this is kind of uh, a much more intensified <laughs> version of that. Uh-huh. It was so interesting that uh, she was... Uh, sort of the very bottom rung, in a sense, Mm -hmm. of the social structure, that even those who were otherwise would be the bottom rung, they they thought less of her than than anybody else. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone was so afraid of her, and that fear was uh, was fascinating. Why uh, why is it that they she conjured up such fear in the other? You know. 
Yeah, I think that there are, we get scared of what we don't understand. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think to me there's um, a power that particularly young people and young women have that they don't even know they have, um, and, you know, in real life. I, I think that, that, you know, you're just coming out of childhood and so you don't realize that that you have a lot of, uh, of, of different kinds of powers in a lot of different ways and people don't really want you to know that you do. And so in some ways I wanted, again, for for um, her senior status to kind of be a metaphor for that of of people kind of trying to keep her down and her really finding her way to find her own strengths. Hey, it, author uh, Christina Dalcher said of Sin Eater that it's part mystery, part horror, and ultimately a timeless story of one woman regaining her power. Other reviewers mm. have said the book has a subtle feminist twist. Was that always your intention from the beginning? Well, you know, I didn't set out necessarily saying, you know, I, I want to write a feminist book, but I would say I, I am a feminist. Um, and mm-hmm. and I in the sense that I I, I believe in equality uh, between the genders and and so I think that that is kind of ingrained in anything that I write I think that those values are going to surface so even though it mm-hmm. wasn't my you know my main goal I it, I think it was almost inevitable. Okay, um, rather than sticking to a strict historical. Uh, telling, as we've spoken about before, you added in all of these little details, and there were some that were just absolutely fascinating, but one that really struck me was mm-hmm. the uh, the way that the uh, the courtiers and everyone, the way they dress, mm. and uh, was, was that uh, more true to history, or is that also something that you envisioned? Um, you mean in, in terms of like the, the clothing choices, how I was describing them? The the way, particularly the the uh, people in the court, they had those. Okay. Uh, the kirtles or the. I mean, I definitely uh, some of the the clothing. There were laws at the time that Queen Elizabeth imposed. Um, and, and other, I think, other royalty as well about what colors people could wear uh, and what kind of thread. Okay. So that part is is historical. Okay. And um, there were other elements of the book that I found fascinating were uh, some of the things like the um, the uh, the beggars' marks, uh, mm. the traveling. Uh, uh, theatrical companies oh, and that sort of thing. That feels very Elizabethan. Mm-hmm. And it also feels very, very important and in some ways it, it, to the structure of the story, particularly the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the characters. Um, what inspired those elements of the story? So the beggar's marks comes from uh, tramp marks or hobo signs that uh, were used among uh, vagrant populations in Europe and North America to kind of communicate with each other. Um, and I liked them because 
there are many, you know, my main character is illiterate, and there would be a lot of, uh, most people would be illiterate. And so it was a great way for people to communicate. Now, whether or not these marks or signs existed back then, we don't have that in the historical record. But certainly we have, um, if you look up tramp marks or hobo signs online, you will see a wealth of, of um, more recent history recording these. Mm-hmm. Um, now the the theater the theater folks that you know that was definitely inspired by my background in theater you know I'm a big theater geek and I loved uh, being able to put some of those characters in there um, and and they kind of they did one of the things that I was interested in researching when I was writing this book were you know the untouchables in society so we've got a sin eater but mm-hmm. who are the other people who were looked down on and and certainly actors fall into that group. Um, and so I, I, I liked the idea of maybe being able to make friends with those people and, and then being able to add in some historical detail about theater just for the other theater geeks out there like me. So the, your background in theater was an important, uh, important element while you were writing the book? Absolutely. You know, I, I have been in theater my whole life, and um, I really I turned to novel writing when my first child was born because uh, it was getting really hard to get out to rehearsals and, and, and do a really collaborative art form. So it was easier to kind of turn to something long form. Um, but I, I think that, that all of my writing is strongly influenced by theater. Uh, just because in theater, you know, you, you have to rely on dialogue. You don't get to uh, say what's going on in people's minds unless you're in a, a musical. Um, and, and the other main way you communicate is by action and, and physicality. And in, in fact, I, so I teach at a theater conservatory in Manhattan, and uh, what I teach is physical theater, which is all about like, the language of the body and... and uh, telling stories uh, with images rather than verbally. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of that uh, fed into my writing in this novel as well. There are a lot of kind of, to me, I, I, I really uh, felt like there were visceral elements. Well, what, that's one of the things that I truly loved about this, and I, it gave me so much to think about, where your, your main character, and, and other characters too, really had little voice, if any voice, but she um, was essentially mute for mm-hmm. various reasons, and yet the story comes across through her actions and her thoughts, and it was such an interesting uh, approach. Now, as a, as a playwright, as you mentioned, you probably relied a lot on dialogue, but you couldn't really yeah. do that here. Mm-hmm. And was there ever a problem with that old show don't tell thing, you know, don't be yeah. too telly? Because it, it came out perfectly. Did you oh, ever good, have good, good. Uh, I definitely with struggled with it, <laughs> for sure. Um, there were a lot of scenes where I was trying to figure out how to do it, how to get around it. Uh, you know, having very verbose actors around was very helpful. <laughs> um but, uh, but but yeah, it was it was a challenge. Um, but again, I kind of leaned on my theater background because we think of plays as being all dialogue, which they are. But but the part that you never see in the play, which is so critical to the storytelling, is is the physicality. So I had to kind of yeah. play things through in my head and, and 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 think about okay, well, how would I how would I physicalize this? How would I how would the space in between the people? What would that look like? How would I be able to tell things with that? Um, so it was a, it was a great okay. challenge. I, I really enjoyed 
doing that. It has, uh, you are or have been a physical theater specialist. So is mm-hmm. that what that means? Is, the, is that what you do, teach people yeah, how to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly. So physical theater is, it, it can encompass anything from, you know, you look at, at your favorite actor or actress in a movie and how they're very different from one movie to the next. You know, they seem to totally change completely. And, you know, some of that is their wig, but a lot of that is how, how they're comporting yeah. themselves. And and so that's one of the things I teach. Um, and then another one is just, yeah, how you how you communicate with the actions that you're taking and and then how you're doing those actions. So, you know, if you're going to be on film or TV, you think that you're talking all the time, but most of the time you're actually just moving. Um, you're doing a reaction shot, all of those things. So, so actors need to know how to convey what they intend to convey. And so I teach that as well. And then I teach, uh, yeah. No, go right ahead. Oh, and, and then I, I, I teach things like more classic things that people associate with physical theater. Like I teach masked performance, like Commedia dell'arte uh, and clown and, and other genres. That was one of the things that I really loved was how that element came across and I could really sense it and feel it. And when you talk about the space between the uh, the characters, it was really very, uh, very clear, and oh, good. particularly some of the. Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but there's mm-hmm. a character, Black Fingers, that just scared mm-hmm. me to pieces. He was just really something else, <laughs> and her interactions Absolutely. with him were were very, very frightening. So I, I mm-hmm. really did love that. Now, um, uh, just a little bit more about you. Um, I read that you were once a forest ranger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of uh, different jobs in my life. So I was I was raised in Northern California, and I love the outdoors. And so um, when I was 19, I spent a summer working in the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State as a backcountry Ooh. ranger. And, yeah, my job would be to go out for 10 days at a time uh, into the wilderness and backpack and um i did search and rescue i did cleared trails oh, wow. i you know yeah i did all kinds of stuff um and then i'd have four days off back at the ranger station and then i'd go out again and i did that for you know in the summer months um and then i've also worked in alaska and uh at a couple other parks but um yeah I, you know I, I still love the outdoors so uh it's not something i've been able to pursue uh as much uh, recently, uh, you were also a sous chef in Paris. Yes, so I I um, I, I went to drama school in Paris, uh, and and your French was great, by the way, in pronouncing the name. Oh, um, thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I, I I needed a job, and so I started working as a as a waitress um, at a restaurant, and and then I asked if I could train in the kitchen, and. The chef was a woman who was self-taught, and and so she welcomed me. And you know, I started out doing very simple things, and I, um, but uh, it was a French-English fusion place that was introducing brunch to the French, um, which was you know this was almost 20 years ago, um, but it was still kind of a new thing there. Um, and so yeah, so I I it 
yeah, I, it, it's a it's a very tough job. I have to say, my hat is off to anyone who works as a cook. Okay, well, that kind of brings us back to the book again. And the and one of the parts that I loved was that opening list. Was there a particular mm. reason why you chose food? Did they really have a connection to the um, um, to the sin? Well, so some of them did, and some of them didn't. You know, I was very inspired by. Uh, fairy tales um, and nursery rhymes where, you know, sometimes when I, when I go back to nursery rhymes, there seems to be a lot of reason and logic to them. And then sometimes I'm like, why is it that? And so I, I wanted to kind of find that quality. So some of the, some of the things I chose because I felt like there was a connection, like the, you can see in the list that um, pomegranate is witchcraft. And I liked the idea of pomegranate. Sometimes um, you know, we think of the apple that Eve ate, but sometimes in some texts uh, it's it's a pomegranate. And so I liked the idea of, of linking those two. Um, and then, uh, like, original sin is bread. And I thought that that made a lot of sense mm-hmm. because bread is such a, you know, is the staple. Um, and then some of them I was honestly really excited about the sound of the word, uh, like um, whipped syllabub, um, is, what is, is that? Uh, it's it's a drink or a dessert, and it's basically uh, like whipped cream with some sherry in it and some flavoring, usually a lemon. Um, and and so uh, yeah, I liked that. I liked that word so much that I I chose it for a sin that would appear a lot in the book, so I get to use it a lot. Uh, okay. <laughs> and um, uh, there was another one. Uh, it's a hippo. Something. Hippo. Oh, hippo. Remember it. Hippocrat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that a real? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's another drink. Um. It's. It's another. Uh. I mean, it's. It's just another alcoholic beverage. Um. No, it's yeah. funny how I picked out the alcoholic beverages. Out of yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No. It's <laughs> well, yeah. It's, it's again. It's I'm, kind of like a mulled wine. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. I there are so many things. Um, it, everybody has to go out and get the book and read it so that we can all talk about all the <laughs> net without having to give anything away. I have so many other questions, but um, that will be uh, for another time. But yeah. <laughs> um, in the meantime, uh, what are you working on now? So I am. I'm working on another novel, and uh, it's um, it's also historical fiction. Uh, and it's it's set in the Civil War, and it's about two women who were both spies during the Civil War, um, and they're both they're both historical women. Um, but whether or not they met, question. So one of them was a Confederate spy named Rose Greenhow, uh, and she was put under house arrest by the Pinkerton agents who were working um, for Abraham Lincoln as as spies, um, and. Uh, and Pinkerton employed women. He was uh, the first to employ women as detectives or in any kind of police role in the United States. And so um, I'm, the, the book is about these two, two female spies who are on opposite sides of the, the political divide. And it's, it's you know, the, the book is going to look at, you know, can we find common ground? Is that a possible thing when you've got just a, a huge political rift between two people, uh-huh. um, or does it always end in you know in war, blood? 
um, which obviously ah. is a topical thing. It's something that's been yeah. on my mind, and so I wanted to investigate it. And these women are just fascinating. I mean, they were such good spies, and no one even uh, no one even suspected them because they were women at a time when women just didn't do these things, or we we ah. thought they didn't. Of course, many did. But um, but yeah, so it's you know it's uh, it's a little bit of a thriller. Okay, well, can uh, tell everyone uh, when the book comes out from who, Absolutely. where they can find it, and where they can find you. Absolutely. So um, so Sin Eater comes out by Atria um, Books. It, it's out on April seventh. Um, I encourage everyone to buy indie, go to your independent bookstore, keep those doors open so that we have wonderful bookstores to go back to um, mm-hmm. after we are free from our isolation. That would be such a nice thing to go into a bookstore right now. Um, so, yeah, buy indie. Um, and uh, and you can find me at my, my website is megancampiz.com, and I'm on Instagram, and I'm also on Facebook at author. Uh, so I'm, I'm, okay. I'm easy to find on both of those places if you can spell Cam Kesey. Okay. Well, the book is Sin Eater, and it's yeah. April 7th. Yeah. And I yep, April 7th. highly, highly, highly recommend this book. It was, uh, it was creepy and mysterious and just uh, delightful in its own dark way. So. Megan, thank you so much for coming to oh, thank uh, you to so much. What a pleasure. Okay, Alistair. All right. Um, yes, thank you, Megan, for being on. And you mm-hmm. keep us updated. And when you have something new out, let us know, and we'll have you back on. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Yes, thank you so much. You bet. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. Um, This is Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights. Sweet screams. And don't forget to check under the bed before you turn off the light. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.